0: Welcome to this bonus episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. This month has been filled with unspeakable loss and pain. The news has been taken over with stories of mass shootings, the atrocities of war, and the staggering COVID death numbers. But perhaps one of the most overlooked stories is that of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Earlier this month, May 5th, marked Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Awareness Day. Although the erasure and violence against Indigenous bodies has been long-standing. This is only the second year the Day of Remembrance has been observed. Did you know that the murder rate of Indigenous women and girls in the U.S. is ten times higher than all other ethnicities? This is something we need to talk about and address. So for this bonus episode, I'm joined by my past guest, Mariah Humphreys. Mariah is a Muskogee Nation citizen, writer, and educator. Through her experience navigating the tension between Native and white American culture, she brings Native awareness to non-Native spaces. In this episode, we discuss the often overlooked and underreported topic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mariah shares real stories of the women behind the statistics, as well as reasons why Indigenous women and girls are murdered and missing at these alarming rates. We also talk about what you can do to help increase awareness and how you can do your part to help protect this vulnerable population. Mariah, welcome back to the Horse Story Seeks podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be back. I am, I'm excited.
0: I'm really just honored to have you back again. Your voice is such an important and powerful one. Accorded, gosh, I don't know what month that was, a few months ago, sharing just your story your ancestors story, some of it, but today we're going to dive into a more specific topic that we didn't have time for last time. I really, I wish we had a more uplifting topic to talk about because this is a really, I don't even know what the words are, Mariah, because I've been reading more this week and I, my heart and my stomach have just been sick, not knowing that I haven't known enough about this, knowing that this topic is not in the news like it should be. It's just, yeah. it's really horrific what indigenous women have been through, what they're going through. The, so we're gonna talk today about missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, yes. and, and that day of remembrance was yesterday, May 5th. So yeah. this podcast is delayed on that, but it doesn't mean we just talk about that one day. I think that's part of the problem really is, okay, we think we have a day for it. and But this is a long running problem that just continues and gets worse so before we dive into that mariah for those that didn't listen to the first episode with you tell me just a little bit about who you are where you live and all those those basic things
1: yeah well again thank you for having me on here and so my name is mariah humphries and i am recording this from the ancestral lands of the tonkawa uh and the hueco people who were stewards of this land that i now live on today called waco texas so that brings up all kinds of funny memes and thoughts for people when they hear waco so whatever immediately comes to mind so be it but i work here and we have three kids my kids all live here and i'm Muskogee, and so originally from the southeast area before we were removed into what is today known as oklahoma And so I go through life as a biracial Muscogee. And so I have Muscogee. I'm also German, Czech and Scottish, but I really do identify as being a Muscogee woman. I walk through this life as a brown skinned Native American woman. So that's really my identity and where my passion is when I come to speaking on anything that has to do with race or racialized uh, topics and then of course that leads into NMIW and just the importance of knowledge that of that topic and that crisis and then being able to share that with everybody. But yeah, so that's it's a little bit of um, who I am.
0: Okay. yes, and we have some amazing mutual friends we do. And we do and I'm just really thrilled to have you back again to be the voice for this because I'm guessing. I don't, I haven't known a lot about this till I've dug in more. So, and I'm an avid reader. So, I'm guessing a lot of my listeners don't know a lot about this topic that is just really horrific and eye opening once you dive in to learn more about it. So, we're going to talk about Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Day, which May 5th, 2019, the White House officially proclaimed it is a national day of awareness for missing and murdered Native women and girls. So, it's a fairly new, I don't want you don't call it a holiday. What do you call it? A, a day of recognition, okay. I guess. Okay. A day of awareness would be more what I would call it. Okay. So, where do you want to start with this? I mean, I I've read so now I know the story of how this day came about. Would you like to start with that, sharing what's behind this day? Yeah, we can we can definitely jump into that. So, one of the early one of the early names,
1: I guess, that would be connected with MMIW to begin with, and we love acronyms. I think that is an Indigenous thing. I have no idea, but we have acronyms for just about everything. So, MMIW—Missing um, and Murdered Indigenous Women—and there are so- there are several acronyms also that can be shared. And that include um, boys and Two-Spirit and girls and just relatives and people in general. So, but today we'll be focusing on MMIW. Um, but Amy Lynn Hansen was a name that I came across whenever I was really trying to learn more about MMIW and, you know, where, where this really started. And she's one of many names, right? But she is one of them. Um, If you Google her, she's beautiful. She's this beautiful young woman who was going to college and going to spend Thanksgiving with friends. Um, She was in New Mexico and she never made it back for her finals and her family. I think it was December 8th that her family in 2014, you know, declared that she was missing. And I think it was after some time that, the authorities came to her family and I think came to her sister specifically and said that her body had been found. Um, and if you know anything about the Southwest, there's these big, huge um, ditches, I guess, but there are arroyos. And so it's where the, you know, the water kind of flows down. So she was um, found, I believe, on December 17th in 2014. And so she was one of just one of the early names. And I think one of the things that I love about. Native Americans when we talk about MMIW is we really try to put names with everything and faces with everything and we see that across the board right with um, social justice issues the importance of identity and putting someone's face um, that proves that they existed, proves that they are human, proves that they are life. And so I think that's also important when we talk about this crisis, because there are stats, there are numbers, there are so many things that we can discuss, right? But when it comes down to it, we are talking about people and we're talking about specific names and young women and girls and young men. And it's just so uh, tragic. And so I think when we have a specific person that we can identify as that. That's kind of our connecting point. I think that just really helps as we walk through.
0: I I appreciate you saying that. I put that in my notes like because I wanted you to share statistics, but also these stories of these are real women, real daughters, I mean, real sisters. So we have to put these names and faces together to understand that these are not just these numbers out there. Now, Hannah Harris is somebody else that I wrote down. Are you familiar? Okay. So is that something she's very important for this to be being like a national day of remembrance. Am I right? Yeah. So that's her birthday is
1: May 5th. And so Hannah's act, which I need to learn more about. Um, it's one of the um, newer ones that I really need to step in and, and dig deep into, um, Yes, a young girl uh, who I think would have been thirty this year, if I remember correctly. And yeah, so may fifth is is her birthday. And so that's the the relevance of having the date of may fifth. Mm-hmm. and And so this week really is, you know, you mentioned that this is you know the day after the day of awareness or recognition. But this week, especially within Native American communities, is a week of awareness. So we are covered underneath the awareness week. And so it's really um, the specific date is has to do with Hannah. And so I believe there is Hannah's act that is, you know, in the process of all the, all the legalities and, um, you know, all the policy things that come into play there that are over my head. I'm, I'm trying to dive more into that, but um, yeah, that's,
0: that's there's a lot point. because there's so many cases okay. of women. Like there shouldn't be so many, but that's why it's hard. I know. Um, and I wrote her name down. Like you said, she was, um, that was her birthday. And so she went missing on July 4th, 2013, when she was just 21 years old, went out to celebrate friends never with friends, never came back and police didn't take her case seriously. Her family had to organize her own, their own search party. And then days later they found that she had been murdered. And that's a, a story that replays over and over again in these indigenous communities could you share with us i know we said stats are just numbers but these are our numbers that i think people need to be aware of because sometimes the numbers are what gets people's attention to start with and then we might come back to some more stories but let's let's do share the numbers if you wouldn't mind sharing the statistics that you have
1: there are there are a lot of statistics and they're almost unbelievable right like when you first see them you're like really is that can that actually be possible? And I, I actually get that question a lot. I said, you know, how, what's the likelihood that these things are, you know, kind of expanded out. It's like, there there's not, (laughs) these are actually, you know, there's a whole thing you got to go through to get a stat. And so there's, there's just a lot of um, heaviness in the stats. And I did see a quote yesterday from um, Anita Lucchesi from the Sovereign Bodies Institute. And Somebody shared, I think it was B. Yellowtail shared this on Instagram. And it's, she said, our relatives go missing three times, once in life, in the data and in the media. And I think that quote really wraps up um, and just lets everybody know exactly what we're dealing with. You know, first of all, there's the missing and murdered, and then there's the data where we typically, because of and it's a whole nother conversation, right? But because of this small amount um, of representation, the numbers that we actually hold within the country, we're so often left off of statistics because we would really love to include the Native American population, but the numbers are just too low to include that. So we are not included. And it just kind of reestablishes the whole issue of invisibility and just disappearance, right? And so, We do have, um, where we do tend to come in heavily on stats is on these uh, violence and the the things that affect us in a negative way are stats that we really come into play with. And so some of them that I have shared previously, and these shift by, you know, by very small numbers um, as new things are released, but almost half. So. I think you're looking specifically at 48.8% of uh, Native American women have been stalked in their lifetime. And I don't know if you've ever had to experience that or any of your listeners have ever had to experience being stalked. It is a level of intruse, intrusion that uh, is hard to explain oftentimes. And there's levels of severity, right? But there, even in the smallest case, there is this level of I don't know what's happening around me, even though I'm aware that I need to be aware of my surroundings. There are some things that I cannot control of how other people are viewing me, watching me. And it's a very um, uncomfortable situation to be in. So half. Um, We are 2.5 times more likely to experience sexual assault uh, and rape than any other ethnic group in the United States. And there are many reasons why I feel like the, these stats are high that we'll get into as well. Um, 84%, which is four out of five, um, have experienced violence and that can be any form of violence, but 56% have experienced sexual violence and over 90% have experienced violence at the hands of a non-tribal member. And that becomes important in this conversation about MMIW and just um, tribal sovereignty in general, but murder, which is a hard one to grasp, is the third leading cause of death for indigenous women. And so we have our health issues that, you know, heart and diabetes that are up there, but the hand of somebody else, um, really is the, the top thing um, that are taking the lives of indigenous women when it comes to interaction with other people. Um, and on some native land, um, you know, we have native land everywhere, but on native land specifically, women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the nation's average. So that's not even talking about, you know, BIPOC specifically, you know, we're not talking about additional ethnic groups. We're talking about overall the nation's average, and that's very concerning. And it, it plays into this whole conversation, but I think it's also important too, because North America does have an invisible border, right? Like Really, it's one massive land, right? So you don't want to leave out um, your First Nations. So in Canada, our First Nations, uh, Matisse, Inuit women are 12 times more likely to go missing or be murdered than the other woman in uh, the Cana- uh, the Canada, Canada space. Um, so uh, it shows that it's not just a U.S. issue, It's an issue for, you know, that invisible border as well. So all of North America, we really do have an issue with uh, violence against indigenous women. So that's those stats are, I always check on those stats and there's additional ones that, that come out that get, you know, a little bit more granular, but yeah, those are heavy. Those are heavy numbers. And you're right. You know, this was not going to be a really lighthearted conversation and moments to find humor. Um, but those are numbers that i that weigh heavily on me and native americans in general and that's what we're really trying to bring to the forefront so our women are no longer just missing three ways you know and removed three ways we want to make sure that the data is there and then your activism comes in to try to make sure that the media has that representation. So it's it's um it's a campaign, right? It's a crisis that we're trying to trying to take on. For It's a crisis.
0: You're business. exactly right. It's a crisis and one that so many of us know so little about. Yeah. So we're going to dive into several things on about why these numbers and what people can do. But you touched on this a little bit. Why Why does the media not, like, why is this not more known? I, I just can't even get my mind around this. And I, I know it's part of indigenous people being erased and need, like, that's why you proclaim, like, we are still here. So, like, is it all part of that? Or just why are we so unaware of these horrific numbers?
1: You know, it's a great, it's a great question because there are, there are some spaces that are bringing these issues mm-hmm. to the forefront but not necessarily really taking the advantage of trying to fix anything, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's the continual cycle of having to fight for representation and having to fight for visibility. Um, You know, I think when things come down to like MMIW and uh, the indigenous female body, uh, there's a lot of historical things that just have flowed through. It's the same vein, it just has a different face Mm -hmm. wherever we are in our timeline of history. Right. And so I just, I feel like there is just a, not a real concern over the indigenous body. Um, It's very easily, I think um, it's probably a great time to mention Audra Simpson. She's Mohawk and she has this book called Mohawk Interruptus and the book is not about MMIW. It, It, it's an amazing book. It's a heavy book, but she has a quote in there that one day I'm going to memorize, but I don't have it memorized yet. But she has this quote in there and I think it kind of leads into part of the issue of why there's not this focus. And so she says, Indian women disappear because they have been deemed killable, able to be raped without repercussion, expendable. Their bodies have historically been rendered less valuable because of what they are taken to represent, land, reproduction, indigenous kinship and governance. Their bodies carry a symbolic load because they've been completed with land, and therefore, contaminating to a white settler state. Mm-hmm. And I think that holds so much truth. And I think historically, with hypersexualization, um, even in our founding documents being declared savage, even that mindset. And you and I have even talked about previously. You know the 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 requirement. Um, you know from from pilgrim to colonizer to settler, you know, we have to be declared, um, killable. We have to be declared removable in order for, um, you know, for the desire to, of, of control to to happen. And so I think it's just been over time, we have been pushed aside so much, both physically within spaces that are just not crossed over by non-natives very often we're out of sight out of mind and our numbers are just we just don't have the numbers to demand so much um, from law and everything else and that's definitely shifting and it's changing activism is definitely changing and it's getting awareness i think where things come into play is like representation you know we've got deb halland who is now um you know secretary of interior and that's so important because even though she could be criticized for whatever you know who there, there's always criticism with people there's representation there and so she's bringing into an authoritative position this focus of I'm going to make sure that we are shedding a light on this issue. And I now have a position where we can shed a light on this issue and we're going to take on this crisis where our government has not taken on the crisis before. We're now going to do that. And so, you know, even her establishing um, the missing and murdered indigenous unit, um, that's something that. is so helpful. And that kind of thing is going to change the narrative. It's gonna change the spotlight. And we just have some amazing grassroots activists, Native Americans Mm -hmm. who are working so hard to to bring this to the forefront and just really um, making sure that the proper people are getting notified and are becoming aware. And it's things like this, like, you know, your podcast, right. You know, you're becoming aware. So you're bringing light to it. And it's just that sort of thing where, okay, now the person listening is going to be aware. And now they're now what's going to happen. Now you have responsibility. Once you're aware, you know, you have the choice of, of, um, supporting and trying to make change or just kind of sit in that and say, gosh, it's a real bummer, you know, for those native American people, gosh, I feel so bad for them. Continue on, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, why, why is it completely being swept under the rug? you know, I just think it has to do with historical continuation of let's just, if if they're out of sight, let's just keep them out of mind.
0: It absolutely does. I mean, when you start saying that, I'm like, well, of course our history, that is is the history of this country, how they have been treated indigenous lives. Let's wipe them out, push them aside, put them in school. So it's going to take a long time, but I am hopeful as I'm sure you are, just like you mentioned the small steps that are happening so let's talk about the why. You alluded to that a little bit, and I know that's a multi-layered issue, but that quote that you shared just a bit ago had some hints as to the why. So when we see these statistics hear these stories, you know, the first thought is like, oh my gosh, why? Why Why would they be? Now, obviously we hear how Indigenous women's lives have not mattered or been important, but there are some real life things going on that make these numbers so high. So let's, ta- let's talk about that a little bit.
1: So there's, so there's a lot of things that are causing this crisis and but one of the things that i think is really important to touch on is there's this priority as i see it of the non-native body over the native body and so often when you look at these numbers a lot of these things are being done by non-native people and so there's that that Intrusion from a non-Native person acting on um, a Native body. And where that gets tricky is if this happens on Native land specifically, there is a lack of jurisdiction to be able to prosecute non-Native people. And that is something that is a continual fight to try to change and shift because until Native lands and the authorities on those lands can prosecute a non-Native person for violent acts, this is just going to continue.
0: Can you say and- this again? Because this is so important. And I wasn't even aware of this till oh, a few years ago when we were living in Oklahoma. And my daughter did a whole paper in a law poli-sci class on a specific case that was in Oklahoma at that time about a crime happening on Native land with a white person and that person could not be held liable. So to just say that again, and like specifically, I want people to understand this because I don't think a lot of people know this and this is part of the problem. So you have native land, a white person comes in and would commit a crime, a murder. Mm-hmm. They can't be tried for that.
1: Yeah, there's There is a lack of jurisdiction that <laughs> mm-hmm. tribal police have over non-natives. Um, You're talking about, you know, state prosecution. But when you're so Native Americans are the only people group who are governed underneath the interior um, and along with land and things like that. So there is federal jurisdiction. And so that that would be where the authority would come in. So you can't have, there's, there's just not that crossover because we are talking about um, tribal nations, right? So the land is, there's a protection um, there. And there's also the the aftermath (laughs) where you cannot, Mm -hmm. there's just not a crossover in jurisdiction. And yeah. And that, that is where a lot of the issues come in. I mean, it plays out in why we have so many acts that are coming up and, you know, VAWA and everything else that comes up that affect Native American women, so many of them are focused on having the authority to be able to prosecute someone who commits these violent crimes, whether it leads to death or not, to be able to prosecute those people who are doing that, who are non-native.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that is where there's, that's where I say this, there's this focus of the protection of the non-native body yes. and a lack of protection or care or concern over the native body. So mm-hmm. the victim is absolutely not taken into consideration right. and it's really making sure that the, the rights and protections of a non-native person on native land are, are cared for and um, followed through.
0: So talk a little bit more about the violence against women act because that plays a role too and I think it was in your post yesterday on Instagram we talked about like every time that comes up it's a whole debate if it, about the indigenous women and if they're protected or not and so that's an important part of this too that they are so talk about how that all relates Yeah you know the violence against women act you know VAWA is
1: interesting because we assume it protects all women I mean okay. you you just assume that everybody's covered underneath that. And there's this umbrella protection, but it, it it doesn't when it comes to Native American women specifically in this case, we're always up for debate during reauthorization. And I think it's we tend to um, face being removed from, from the act. And it really does come down to the pushback of prosecuting non-Native people. Um, because if there's violence against a Native American woman Yes, that's horrific, but that also has to um, result in a prosecution, and that's where we, we tend to face <clears throat> um, our, our pushback. And so I think the 2021 reauthorization, <clears throat> excuse me, the 2021 reauthorization calls for the end of um, impunity for non-native perpetrators of sexual assault, um, child abuse, Uh, domestic violence, sex trafficking, which is also has a high percentage that I don't know off the top of my head, but that's a newer percentage that's being talked about stalking and just assaults on tribal enforcement in general. And so it's clear that it, it is less about the indigenous protection and more about the protection of the perpetrator. And that's where we always tend to come back up with this reauthorization because it's not about the protection of the body. It's about the protection of the rights of a non-Native person. Mm-hmm. And that's why we tend to come up with our own bills and our own acts. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we put those names to those acts and those bills and we're like, this is, this is what we're talking about. And so that is the VAWA. I have a community, conflicting relationship with, like, why can't we just do this, right? Why, why can't we just prioritize the victim and prioritize Mm -hmm. the body over um, the supposed rights of, of a uh, collective non-Native person, so. Mm
0: -hmm. So just to clarify, are the perpetrators of these crimes against Indigenous women are usually non-Native? Is that safe to say? Yeah, a high-
1: percent of them. Like, I think the percentage was 90% is done by a non-tribal member.
0: Wow. So that leads into also a little bit of why that is the pipelines, the things going on around the um, native land. So let's, Mm -hmm. let's dive into that and speak into that a little bit. In
1: we hear about know the dakota pipeline we've heard about you know dapple all of the things um standing rock is something that people kind of started becoming familiar with
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i get it i get it people have opinions on what we should do with pipelines pros and cons and it really is about how it affects in this case how it affects indigenous communities so you know we are Considered protectors of land and water, and so there that there's that issue with pipelines affecting both land and water surrounding Native American lands. But when it comes to pipelines, what you don't really consider is the massive amount of construction sites that that sort of level of project has to take. The um, and these, I don't know if you've ever been around indigenous land, especially up in the Northern area, it's very, um, separated from all your major cities. Mm -hmm. So we have these construction sites and therefore there are these things called man camps. And that's a term that is used often predominantly men are working on these massive construction sites, right? I mean, that's, we know this, so they are set up, close to indigenous land, because that's where all of this is happening. And they're there for years. You know, they're there for months to years. And there are several other huge construction projects that go on that are not related to pipelines as well. But all of those construction sites usually have some sort of place where everybody lives. And so they are called man camps. And that's where it becomes an issue for Native American women, especially on indigenous land. And some of those stats that are really high are specific to indigenous land and what's happening to women on those lands. And especially even the human trafficking is becoming a significant issue there that we don't talk about very often. And so I am always going to be against you know, pipelines being so close to native lands because of the access that non-native people have to our women on our native lands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people can have opinions about how all of that happens. What happens? How do they actually come over onto native land? There's a whole bunch of details, right? And it's very, you know, intertwined. But there's that close proximity Yet, very separated from major cities, right. and there's that direct access. And all of the things that happen when you have a large amount of these men together mm-hmm. um, all the things that happen, and the indigenous women who are close indigenous girls, indigenous men, uh, boys you know, all of these this crisis happens so often around that, and that plays directly into things like, you know, VAWA. Mm -hmm. We have this this government, just because it is, you know, we're very, this is a very government-based kind of thing the pipeline. So we have like, you know, this big oil and it's coming through, but we have this legal system that is supportive of the people who are committing violent crimes from these groups. Over protecting the um, intrusion and the protecting the bodies of indigenous women when that cross is over, when these men come over, when they take advantage of the indigenous bodies. And so those are intertwined, you know and those are it goes back, it really does go back to, you know Audra's quote, where it, historically, we have already declared, that these bodies are for use and disposable, and there's no care. And then we have the hyper hypersexualization of the female body in general and the BIPOC female body across the board. And all of those things are just part of what make these stats so high and make it so necessary to have like Savannah's act and VAWA reauthorization, including native American women, because these people who are committing violent acts really do need to be prosecuted, but there's this protection over them. And so therefore when you have this protection, there's this freedom to kind of just do whatever you want to do. Right. And, and even with prosecution, even in the, the ways that we can prosecute people on native land, there's, you know, small fines, like you're, you're very limited on what you can really bring somebody in for what kind of fine you can really charge. And it really, it just sustains the protection of the wrong person. And so that's, that's why we are always going to speak up about, Um, major sites like pipelines because it's it's an easy one for people to make that connection to but any large-scale construction site near native land makes these stats so high and it has to change in order for the protection of the body of the indigenous body to be visible to be included to be um deemed as valued rather than deemed as disposable and that's really where the fight is but that is really where a fight is is along those those borders and along those um the interaction between native Mm -hmm. and non native
0: i really appreciate you So many things are going through my mind. I appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, My husband is in the energy business, so we're having lunch today. So this will be part of our conversation because I think, (laughs) no, because I think too, we've all just thought, well, it's just the, not, I don't want to say just the land, but we think that's the reason we don't think this next level of actual lives being sacrificed for this, you know? And I think not to get into too much of the religious right, but we have to go there a little bit. When you look at, if we are Jesus followers and we care about human life and life on the margins, this is a real big thing to protect lives, yeah. to protect actual lives and look at which candidates are supporting supporting the legislation for not having these pipelines and pipelines near native land. So I just wanna throw throw that out there for people to maybe to challenge you and think a little deeper about. Had to go there just a little bit, Mariah. Okay. Let me know how your lunch goes. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned just a bit ago, Savannah's act. So let's get back to some stories of real women again. Can you share a little bit about the women behind this act and what this act actually expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Savannah's act is one of the stories that I followed early on, and I don't know how I came across it, but It really grabbed my attention and I've been following that act into law and it's named after Savannah uh, LaFontaine gray wind. And she was murdered brutally in August of 2017. And she's also an amazing example of the horrific statistics regarding abuse and homicide of native American women. And so Savannah's act really is set up to reform law enforcement and some of the justice protocols appropriate to address missing and murdered indigenous women. But she was at her apartment and lured in by a neighbor and they were convicted. She was lured in by a neighbor and she was eight months pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was knocked unconscious and the baby was removed from her body. And then she was wrapped up and you know taped and um, some kayakers, I believe, can, some, someone who was canoeing found her in a river. And so they did end up finding the neighbor. This was her child. Her child was being raised by the father. And so she is one of the faces, um, which is why we always want to have a face with some of these statistics, so they don't just stay a statistic. And I really was drawn to this story because at the time, it just reminded me of some stories that were happening when I was growing up and, you know, in New Mexico specifically of women who were, you would see women going missing, um, the murder of um, a Native American woman. And so even in those times when I was growing up, this is what we're talking about. And this Savannah story made a connection with me, with what I had seen throughout my time, you know, as a child into young adulthood, into adulthood. And now those things make so much sense. Like, yeah, they, this is all part of we have just not been given any sort of space to be able to be aware and to be able to support these families or anything. And so I, I've i just always been a follower of Savannah's act and her story. And mainly because uh, we do have the people who killed her and that's not always the case. And so there is this kind of conclusion, if you can call it that. And that, that is helpful for me to mentally think, okay, this is possible. You know, this is, we can actually see this happen, but yeah, that's, that Savannah's story, beautiful native American mother at the very end of this pregnancy. And you know what this is like, and there's just like this excitement and I, that story has just, it always, it, it just gets me every time I read about her. Um, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And then just the disposing of, of the body. And there was this, we want this, we want this child. This child is, you know, here are these parents and we want to go and have that. And just the intrusion of, of that whole situation and the premeditation behind it and just the disposing is, is the reasons why there are so many vocal people when it comes to MMIW and, um, Savannah's act was pushed through and it's, it's set up, you know, to be able to have different protocols and to be able Mm -hmm. to really challenge law enforcement to adjust, um, you know, recognizing the issue with Native American women and recognizing the importance of immediately acting upon these things as they come to the forefront and not just what you were talking about earlier. Gosh, okay, yeah, but this, you know, or we'll get to that. Let's give a little bit more time. And so these types of things really have to be set in place specifically for Native American women in order for that justice to start happening. So that's, that's a bit about Savannah's
0: act. So did her murder occur on, on non-native land yes. or was, okay. So that could be part of the reason why the mm-hmm. prosecution actually. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. So I'm guessing majority are not prosecuted found. I mean, going back to what we talked about earlier. So it's kind of a rarity. Her case is a rarity for the, the perpetrators to be found and arrested and criminal. Yeah.
1: Case. You know, and in- wow. In 2016, there was a lot of numbers that were brought out. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how all the statistics work, but I feel like we're always like a few years behind everything, mm-hmm. but I know it takes a while to get this out. But um, the National Crime Information Center reported that over 5,700 reports of um, missing Native American and Alaska Native women and girls that's how many were reported. But the US Department of Justice, the the database only had 116 cases. And so there's just this massive gap of either taking things seriously or really feeling like this is worthy enough to be able to take on a case. And so, you know, we are sitting at, I think the numbers still are around 56, 5,700, and there are such small a you know, such a small percentage of those are actually being considered um, to be able to be followed through um, with the DOJ, which is it's also it's it's a whole nother layer of issues, right? And there's just this real lack of um, concern there, and uh, I, I would just love to know the real reasons why. But yeah, there's just this lack, it's real lack of uh, not awareness because it's there, but a lack of yeah. to be able to try to you know rectify
0: anything. Yeah, there really is because I was looking at a site where you can look at each state and numbers and most of the states are just like they don't report it. Mhm. It's like wait, what? Like this I know. I know. I mean, okay, so what's next after the shock and awe and awareness? That's what I want to talk about. Somebody like me listening that's like, "Oh my gosh, I did not know what can I do to help with awareness but beyond that like what tell us some steps what we can do
1: yeah i think there are i think non native people or let's say people who are outside of a position including native american people people who are out of, outside of a position to make change on a state level city level you know who are actually in positions and titles to be able to push things through mm-hmm. i think these are things where we can continue to push vocally, you know, however you feel comfortable pushing, you know, I, A lot of people will call they'll write, they'll email whatever it is, but the awareness is so important because that is the biggest thing that is lacking. And you're right. You know, May 5th is kind of when we talk about it since 2019, it usually pops up. We've been talking about it on May 5th for a long time. Mm-hmm. So the awareness is becoming more so, which is fantastic. But then however, because each state is different. And this, I should also say, this is not this on both sides of the aisle. You, you definitely have people who are on every political spectrum who are working for MMIW to be dealt with. They're taking the crisis seriously. Um, And then you also definitely have people on both sides that are Why are we talking about this? You know, Mm -hmm. but you definitely have. So it's not even the limitations of the representation that you have in your state level government and politics that really is not even the biggest issue because there are people on both sides of the aisle who are working on this. But I think that just the awareness and supporting the organizations, there are a lot of institutes and organizations who are actually doing the work of working on these statistics. They're bringing in lawyers and professors and, you know, statisticians, <laughs> I don't know What the title is exactly, but you know, those smart people. I think that's it. I'm sure and, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, working alongside these people who have this education and this knowledge of how to process this information mm-hmm. and they're all Native American led. And so therefore, You know, funding is also low because not a lot of people support native focused organizations and institutes, but there is that self action uh, from native America, who is like, we are going to take this on for our own people. And, but they are coming up and they are helping and they're making headway in with those, those bigger titles to be able to say, let's work together, come on and, and help us so we can help you in your state and on a national level. So I think those are part of the things that we can just just be aware of those um, those groups and those organizations like NIWRC, which is a big one, uh, National Indigenous uh, Women's Resource Center is one that I encourage everybody to, to okay. go learn from, uh, they're They're about ending violence against Native women. I mean, that that is what they are about. They come out with a lot of these statistics, the Sovereign Bodies Institute, I think I've already mentioned them early on. They do a lot of research in the area of violence against indigenous people, um not just women specifically, but all indigenous people. So they do those two alone do so much work. And they are becoming a little bit more nationally recognized by some, but I want to always encourage people to not just take my word for it. I'm getting my information from, you know, research and from these people's research as well. And you've got the urban Indian health Institute. They're huge as well. And they're, they're taking on data for indigenous specific topics, not necessarily just with violence but they're taking on the data for indigenous topics because we are lacking in that, in the overarching amount of data that's out there because of the representation, the small numbers, right? So we have these people who have this education and this knowledge in the, you know, they know how to do this kind of work and they're Native American, and they're coming in and using that to raise the awareness of the Native American population. You have Rising Hearts, which is a great organization. I love, I'm wearing one of their shirts today, Rising Hearts, Mm -hmm. and they give elevation, they give volume to the people in this work of MMIW. But what I love about Rising Hearts is they really are also giving voice to the victims' families. Mm -hmm. So the victims no longer have a voice, right? And the missing and the murdered are no longer being heard. And so these families that are going through this Rising Hearts is giving them space on their social media and on, you know, May 5th and throughout the year, we're going to focus on the voice of the victim's family. And so we can continue to put a name and a face with this issue and with this crisis. And I think those, you know, those four, um, you know, Sovereign Bodies, Rising Hearts, Urban Indian Health Institute, and then the NIWRC those four alone will give so much information and they're out there and they're pushing and they're doing things, but yeah, they just need more elevation.
0: Okay. And we will definitely, if you'll give me links to those, we'll put that on the show notes so folks can check that out. And I know sometimes people get tired of just hearing, Oh, just giving money and funding, but the reality is that you need money and funding to bring awareness, to help families. So And obviously, if with an underrepresented group, they're also very underfunded. So I think if people can give, I think that is a huge, huge thing to consider. I know a lot of things are asking for money right now, but if you're able to and want to help, I think that's a big action step beyond beyond the awareness. So a question I have with the awareness, and I know we have to wrap up here. So the red hand is symbolic Mm -hmm. of the of, of the day of recognition or overall the missing and murdered indigenous women. Can you talk just a little bit about what that means? And then I'm also, because you know I'm just honest and have to ask questions, is that <laughs> something that somebody like me can share or wear something that has that? Or is that something that just is indigenous women have and men have ownership too? I don't is that cultural appropriation to be taking that I guess? Absolutely not. I okay. just put that off there. <laughs> I, I feel I like, you know, in this, okay, I appreciate you saying that because I do think that's something that we don't want to just be taking a symbol of. I mean, that's been done so often with Indigenous people, taking their things, taking their symbols, and yeah. putting them out there as our own. So I want, I just want to clarify that one. So talk about the red hand and what, why that's the symbol.
1: Yeah, you know, so the red hand, you'll see that in a variety of ways. You'll see it as just almost like a painted hand, primarily is how you'll see it. So you'll see an image with, you know, a a handprint. Visually, for people who are activists or trying to make a visual representation, you'll see the red hand print over their mouth. And so you'll see that as well it all for the same reason it's all about silence and it's all about not staying silent and so using our voice as the non missing and the non murdered to give voice to the missing and the murdered and the red is you know very much part of it there's there's that violence uh, representation too with with the color so often but it really is the visual of the violence done against native american yeah. People. And so that's where the red hand comes from. And, you know, wearing red, one of the hashtags that's from May 5th, why we wear red. Yeah. The red dress day is in Canada on May 5th and it, all of that sort of thing. So the, the color red, you know, any of the shirts that you wear, like I've got a shirt on today from Rising Hearts, like no more stolen relatives, no more mm-hmm. stolen sisters. And it's all of those things that um, are all all-encompassing with the with the color of red, and then specifically that handprint. So when you see that um, visual, especially over the mouth, it's we have been silenced, and we're no longer going to stay silent. So it is a, you know, being indigenous is a form of refusal anyway to start existence, yeah. and so this is this is definitely a visual way of saying, um, you know, making that statement of refusal that we just refuse to stay stay silent and stay quiet. So
0: yeah, okay. Well, I'm so glad that you have chosen not to stay silent Mariah I mean this is just such a hard but important topic that you've really opened my help open my eyes and I hope also listeners and like I said we'll put all of those links into where people can learn more and get involved and help support this cause this remembrance these families all of that is there anything else that we miss Mariah that you feel like you wanted to touch upon or share or close with even no
1: I think that I think we covered a really good um, foundation of awareness for this one. And I, I, I've i told you this before, but I just appreciate your approach mm-hmm. to any BIPOC issue or crisis that we face and your openness to learn something that you have not known before and admit, I did not know this and I admit yeah. that. And so your vulnerability mm-hmm. and your humility in and as you provide space for BIPOC voices, I'm just always so impressed with. So we need more Andre Miller's, right? We need more, we need more people to say, you know what, I'm going to use my space for you to come in and share what you need for your people. And I think that is where real change happens because you are extending the voice of, you know, the missing and the murdered. And I think that is, it just should be recognized as well, you know, not to end it all about you because it, you know, it's, it's not even about me. It's, it's about, you know, you know, the 50, 5,700 plus uh, missing and and Mm. that are in a database somewhere. And so it's, it's just so important, such important work. And so I'm just really grateful that you see that and that you are giving um, volume to that and giving space to be able to talk through that. So I'm really appreciative. Thank
0: you for those kind words. And it's not about me at all, but I I so appreciate those words. Let's end on that number again, Mariah. 5,700. Is that what, I mean, at least, at Mm -hmm. least, I mean, that's the low end of it. 5,700 missing. Is that missing and murdered indigenous women? Yes. Yeah. And those, you know, those range from state
1: to state, as you said Mm -hmm. earlier, and they range from, you know, native land and non-native land. And in so, so many of these stats, we really are talking about the protection of, of people on native land and the rights that they do have there. So.
0: Thank you today, Mariah, for all of this. I know it's a hard, but. I'm sure it's a hard topic for you to talk about. I mean, these are your ancestors. These are your sisters. So I don't want to take that lightly that you just, well, let me just talk about this. Like it's, I can imagine that it's heavy. So I just, I thank you for doing it and for being here. Thanks for asking me. I really appreciate it.